Amen. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Morning, church. Glad to see you all here today. Uh, If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Blake Godsey. I serve as the family pastor, also known as, is that that guy at the kids' building with way too much energy? Yes, that's me, one and the same. Uh, Glad to be here with you uh, today. We're going to be continuing our series on sharing the story, uh, what it looks like for us to live lives where we share the gospel, share our faith, evangelism, all these kind of things, meaning uh, the same thing. Uh, Before we jump into that, I wanted to let you know a little bit about what's been going on here at Solid Rock recently. Uh, This last Sunday evening, uh, we had our elder ordination for two new elders, uh, Jason Zeta and Shane Belter. Um, These two uh, men are now joining our elder body, and we're very excited. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We're very excited for what they're going to bring to the leadership of our church uh, and about who they are as people and their families. So uh, at the ordination, we had some time worshiping, just recognizing, again, our place, that we are our people that uh, are serving an awesome God. So spending time worshiping together. We also just talked about what is God's design for an elder and uh, what that means for somebody to agree to that. We also spent some time praying over them, praying over their ministry, their families. Uh, and then we also had an opportunity for them to commit to the leadership of this church for, and for our church to commit to uh, uphold them and encourage them in that role. So that happened last Sunday. I'm very excited about that. And then just uh, on a housekeeping note, just wanted to mention that this coming Wednesday, we won't be having our normal kids or students uh, Wednesday nights uh, in observance of Thanksgiving. So we hope that y'all enjoy uh, the holiday. Uh, If you don't know this about me, I'm actually allergic to poultry. So Thanksgiving is a very isolating time for me um, as everybody else enjoys it. It's okay. I always preferred ham anyway, so I don't feel like I'm missing too much. But we do hope you have safe travels and that you enjoy family time uh, wherever that may be. Um, So, like I said, this morning we're going to be continuing our series on sharing the story, Um, and it actually reminded me of the first time that uh, I remember going intentionally uh, to share my faith with somebody that I did not know. So, uh, it was my freshman year of college. I had a a guy in my life, his name was Matt, and Matt kind of discipled me, mentored me. I needed a lot of help. He took me under his wing, and uh, one thing he encouraged me toward was, hey, I want to encourage you toward being uh, bold in evangelism, and I was like, okay, sounds great. And he was like, hey, I'm going to be here at this time. And I was like, oh, I think I have something that day. I'm not going to be able to make it. And he said, I I bet that could wait. And he was just really, he was really uh, encouraging to me in a kind way uh, to push me out of my comfort zone. So I said, okay. So we were on uh, campus and we uh, approached a a guy and, you know, found out his name, his major. I think he was like a senior in the engineering college or something like that and asked him if he had any spiritual beliefs. And he uh, told us a little bit about his Hindu faith. And so we, after asking some questions, he communicated, you know, part of how I view God is there's several, there's kind of several paths up a mountain and you can take any one of them and you can eventually get there. And so I feeling I was ready. I was kind of shaking and I was like, well, I think Jesus is the only way. And it was kind of quiet and awkward. And he said, okay. And it was kind of quiet and awkward a little more. And so then my friend kind of came in and rescued me a little bit. We walked away. He said, how do you think that went? I said, well, Matt, I'm going to tell you, I don't think it went well. Uh, it was a little awkward. Uh, was what I said true? Yes, I believe that fully. But was the way I said it particularly helpful to that situation? Not so much. What I needed and what we all really need is a model. We need a model, an example of what it looks like to do evangelism. And we are in a really, really fortunate circumstance to have a Savior who is both the message of the gospel and he was also the model of evangelism that Jesus is really at the center of the gospel and we also got to see him share the good news of his coming 
with other people. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, we're going to see uh, kind of a little bit of a case study of Jesus uh, in talking to the woman at the well in John 4. And what we're going to see is Jesus was bold. We're going to see that Jesus shared truth. We're going to see that Jesus was compassionate. And we're going to see that Jesus offered hope. So we're going to be in John 4 today. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, we'll also have the verses up on the screen. Uh, I did just also, yeah, I just want to emphasize that Jesus, who is God, and at the center of this gospel message, he lived as a man. And so we get to see what he would do, what God would do living among us. It's an incredible opportunity we have when we look at the scriptures to see what would, what is the perfect example of what we should do and do our best to model after it, right? So Jesus being in the unparalleled situation of being the focus of the message and also a messenger of the good news of God, we get to see uh, and learn from the best about the best message that could possibly be shared. So that's my excitement for this morning. So in John 4, uh, the way it starts, Jesus is passing through an area called Samaria, and he stops at a well in a small town. So in John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so the first thing we see from Jesus is that he was bold. In the opportunities that he had to share about the coming good news, he was bold. And this encounter with the Samaritan woman for us in the 21st century doesn't seem necessarily that odd. In the first century, it was a huge deal. It would have been a huge deal for him to talk to this person. It would have been inappropriate at best, and at worst, it would have been sacrilege. It would have been profane to people of the Jewish religion. They would have said that he was doing something wrong. So that's where he has, and we don't quite have the same circumstances as Jesus had then, but for a Jew to talk to a Samaritan for this scenario, I just want to talk a little bit about why it was so bold for Jesus to cross these social boundaries uh, like it says in the text, Jews did not have dealings with Samaritans. There were some reasons for that. Um, Jews and Samaritans share a, they shared a common heritage. They were all from the nation of Israel, um, but there was a political divide between Jews and Samaritans that started after Solomon. So Saul was king, then David, then Solomon. During the reign of Solomon's son, the kingdom split. So the 10 northern tribes split into a separate nation, which retained the name Israel, and the southern tribes were Judah. Okay, so people saw the Samaritans, that northern kingdom, the remnant of that northern kingdom, they saw them as kind of political rebels, that they caused a divide in the kingdom. So there was tension based on that. There was also a racial tension between these groups. So in about 722, Assyria conquered the northern kingdom, took some people captive, other people were scattered. Eventually, some of the people who had been a part of the northern kingdom returned to that area, but other people had occupied it. So they intermarried with people of different nations and different religions, which that was not something that uh, the people of Judah were happy about. They saw them as racially impure. They had that idea that that described them. And then, of course, there were also religious differences. The Samaritans, when they returned, they adopted sort of a modified version of Judaism in which they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch, right? And then remember at that time, they only had the Old Testament. So they only accepted the first five books, not any of the prophetic writings. So they had some disagreement on that ground, right? Because the, the Jewish faith, which is correct, 
hold, held that the whole Old Testament was inspired and from God. So they had all these things differentiating them as people groups, but not only is this person a Samaritan, in the first century, it would have been also a little bit taboo to talk to this person because she was a woman. And to be frank, people would have thought it wasn't worth a rabbi's time. People would have said it's not worth his time to talk to a woman. And then you add on top of that, Jesus is asking her for a drink of water. She would be touching the vessel that he would be using. People would say that would make him unclean to accept a drink of water from such a person. And then one more thing. Remember, Jesus' disciples are out. They're getting food. They're not there, so it's just the two of them. When you add all those things up, really the the long and short of it is people didn't think she was worth his time. People would have said that this person was not worth Jesus' time. That would have been the prevailing cultural idea at that time. And this is one way that we see how bold Jesus was for him to cross these social boundaries to see a person, to see them for the value that they have, to see someone cast aside by society but beloved by God. He showed boldness in talking to her. And even though our circumstances are not the same, we do experience social barriers in our lives, right? We also have divisions based on political, racial, religious lines, right? We also have other social norms that are unique to our time. I don't know if you've ever heard this. I know I have. People say there's three things you should never talk about with family, money, politics, or religion, okay? So there's this norm that I probably shouldn't tell my family members about my faith unless they're already, unless they're already a Christian, right? There's this idea that that's appropriate. Um, so there's also kind of this thing, if we are sharing our faith, that means we're forcing our beliefs on someone or we're being intolerant of other beliefs to share our faith with other people. These are other kind of prevailing cultural norms that we deal with. But church, we need to be bold like Jesus to rise above these social norms and reasons we shouldn't share and instead focus on being obedient, being obedient to share the message of Jesus, to make disciples like Jesus has told us to. When we see Jesus be bold, it's a call for us also to be bold, to not focus on those reasons why not, but instead to focus on that reason why. And it's that, that's what God's called us to, to make disciples. And fortunately for this woman and for us, Jesus does not conform to these divisive cultural ideas. Instead, he shows her the value that we should show all people. And that should be our focus as well, to treat all people as people that are created in God's image, not like they're an other or they're different or they're separate, but to recognize the thing we all have in common is that we are created in God's image and we are deeply in need of a savior. So we can have boldness to pursue that. So in this next section, we're gonna see another principle from Jesus' ministry that we can hold on to, picking it back up in verse 10 of John 4. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the second thing we see from Jesus' evangelism, from him sharing the good news, is that Jesus shared truth. 
He shared the truth even when this woman wasn't fully aware of the truth that he was sharing. She didn't even know the need that she had, but Jesus was able to share truth to get to the heart of a true need. So she was asking a different question. She wanted to know, okay, you've got this new water source. I would like to, I'd like to know about it, right? So uh, living water would be another way of describing water. She would have probably been thinking he was talking about like a spring or something like that. Water that is moving is generally safer to drink than water that's stagnant. So if Jesus had access to some spring that she didn't know about, she wanted, she wanted to know the deal, okay? She wanted to know where she could get this better water. But while she was talking about a place to get physical water to drink, Jesus was actually telling her something even more important than our most basic human need to drink water, something even more important than that. Jesus was offering a living water, not from a spring, but one that nourishes our soul. Jesus tells the woman that unlike the water from the well, which she would drink, and then anyone who drank from that well would be thirsty again, that he was offering a water that leaves a person permanently free from thirst and becomes a well of water, a spring of water inside. That this thirst, this spiritual thirst, this greater thirst that we have, this need for our soul to be nourished, that he has the solution. That not only can that spiritual thirst be quenched, but it can also become, we can become a well of that water within us. This is the promise that Jesus is making. This is what he's telling her, even though she's not fully understanding yet, right? She still thinks he's talking about regular water. And she's going to have to drink physical water again, right? She's not going to hear this message from Jesus, and then all of a sudden her thirst will go away. But instead, Jesus tells her she'd just ask that her spiritual need, her spiritual nourishment would last in eternity, that it would be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus here shared truth with this woman who didn't even know she needed it. He shared the solution to the need she didn't even know that she had and shared that truth. And if we want to share God's story of redemption with others, we also need to share the truth. We need to be people that are willing to share the truth. There's a couple pitfalls that we can fall into Uh, when we are trying to share the truth with someone. One is sometimes we may feel like we don't know enough. I don't know enough of the truth to share it. Another one is we can fear how people will react to us sharing the truth, right? Or sometimes we can be a little too forceful or overbearing with the truth, right? A little bit like the story I shared at the beginning. Maybe I was a little too forceful, overbearing with it. That was the pitfall I fell into. But thing is, that's what I experienced that time. I've experienced the others as well. I've experienced times when I didn't know enough or when I was fearful of how someone would respond to the message of Jesus, what they would think of me. Uh, When I was doing college ministry, I uh, had an opportunity on a Sunday uh, during the summer to do the Sunday message. And afterwards, uh, someone came up, someone I didn't know, and they said, would you be willing to have a conversation about Christianity with a rational atheist? And I said, okay, sure. Uh, That doesn't normally happen, by the way. People don't just walk up to you and say, would you please tell me more about Jesus? That's uh, pretty rare. So I was like, okay, this is great. Um, went and sat down. We had lunch. This guy was on kind of on a like a, a summer trip from a, a really prestigious tech university. And what he wanted to talk to me about was what my thoughts were on uh, statistical models that showed the likelihood of any one religion being the true one. And I heard him talking and I was like, oh, we are in we are outside of my comfort zone talking about statistical models. I do not know very much about statistics. 
Um, so I was expecting, are we going to talk about the reliability of scripture? Are we going to talk about why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Things like that. And he wanted to talk about some computer-generated models about whether religions were real or not. And so I was like, man, I, I don't know that I know enough to engage in this conversation. But here's the thing. I don't actually have to know about statistics to know the truth of the gospel. And so while I didn't know how I was going to talk to him about that, I did know that how I could share with him uh, even if that wasn't really what he was looking for, like, I can tell you what I do know, and it's this. It's that Jesus is the way, that he has died on our behalf, that he rose from the dead. I can tell you that. So we will find ourselves potentially in situations where we feel those kind of insecurities when we're trying to share the truth, right? But here's the thing. If we know that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that through faith in him we can receive forgiveness and eternal life, you know enough to share the gospel. Is there more to talk about? Sure, there's more to talk about. That's the core of it. If you know that, you can tell somebody else that. You don't have to know all the answers. Also, if we can believe what Jesus told his disciples and what he told them was, when they reject your message, you will feel like they are rejecting you, but they are actually rejecting me. If we can internalize that, we can truly believe it, that when we share and somebody rejects it, it's not a rejection of us as a person, it's actually a rejection of Jesus then we can hopefully start to move to a place where we're not fearful of people's reactions. And if we can trust that God is the one who's ultimately working in a person's heart, we don't need to feel forceful or overbearing when we share the truth. We just get to focus on being obedient. The Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of others. We are not uh, the ones who are given the task of making someone go from I do not believe in Jesus to now I do. That's the work of God. Instead, we get to be obedient. We get to be a part of that person's story, a part of the process, obedient to what God is calling us to. And a lot of times we may just have a small influence in someone's grander story. If we could look at a person's life on a spectrum and see all their life experiences and all the people who interacted positively and negatively, we would want us to see ourselves on that positive side, right? That we were someone who was bold to share truth with them, that we did so in a kind way, to be a part of that person's journey that God is bringing about. So following Jesus' example, we need to share the truth of the gospel, but we don't need to take some sort of unrealistic responsibility to know everything, to be able to control somebody's reaction, to make somebody hear what we're saying. That's not what God's called us to. He's called us to obedience, to share the truth. So in the next one passage, we're going to see another example of what Jesus teaches us about sharing the gospel, picking it back up in John 4 in verse 15. It says this, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So we see in these verses that Jesus was compassionate. The model that we see Jesus give us is a model of compassion, to see a person and to experience heartfelt care for them. That's what we see Jesus do here. The woman that Jesus is speaking with, she's very interested, again, in this water. She's, she's still thinking mostly it's physical water. I can imagine there's a part of her that's like, yeah, okay, you've got a water, I'll drink it once, and I'll never be thirsty again. Yeah, sure, show me, right? She's still thinking it's mostly about actual physical water right? And Jesus makes a simple request. He says, 
for her to go get her husband, but of course he already knows the truth of this woman's situation. She's had five husbands. The man she lives with is not her husband. And we don't know exactly what happened in this woman's life and her story. It seems likely that there was divorce involved in at least some of these marriages, right? If, in, if not all, we don't, again, we don't know. And as you might imagine, after five marriages, she's maybe feeling a little bit done with the idea of marriage. The man she's with is not her husband. She maybe is feeling like, I'm done with that. I'm not going to put myself through that again. And even so, Jesus does not offer him her condemnation. Instead, he meets her in her story with compassion, with kindness. This doesn't mean that he approves of everything that she's ever done, but instead, it's a recognition that she's experienced great brokenness, that she has a story that is filled with hurt and sin, and she's been affected by it. It's not an approval, but it's a recognition that her story involves a lot of brokenness, and Jesus did not offer her condemnation instead compassion. We actually see throughout Jesus' ministry, whenever there are people who recognize their brokenness and are open to the idea that they can't do things on their own, we see Jesus time and time again. He meets those people with compassion. He meets people with compassion. We're going to look at a couple examples. One is later in John, in John 8, starting in verse 4. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, from now on, sin no more. So we see that this woman who's caught in adultery, she's got an angry mob surrounding her. They say, What should we do? And Jesus says, but the one who is without sin cast the first stone. He says, neither do I condemn you. As all these people recognize that none of us are without sin. And Jesus shows compassion, not condemnation. We also see this in the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, uh, he was a, a tax collector, uh, a person that was seen as kind of a sympathizer to the Roman government. Uh, they would often steal um, by taking more than they needed to. So these were people that were absolutely on the outside. People did not want to spend time with them. They were seen as uh, some of the chief among sinners. But Zacchaeus' life changed when he encountered Jesus. He went up into a tree so he could see Jesus coming. And then in verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I shall restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This person that, again, people thought would not be worth Jesus' time. In fact, it would be a stain on Jesus for him to spend time with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus he met Zacchaeus with compassion with kindness. In fact, the people that we see Jesus react strongly to, to rebuke, 
are the, really the ones who think they have it all together. The religious leaders who say, uh, I'm a son of Abraham, I follow the law, so I'm good. Those are the people we see Jesus react strongly to, to push back, to rebuke them. But the people who recognize their own brokenness, Jesus meets them with compassion. And we see too from the story of Zacchaeus that he's met with compassion, and then we see how Jesus changed his life, how Jesus made a difference. That's what our model is to show compassion. If Jesus, the perfect Savior of the world, can show compassion to sinners, how much more should we, imperfect as we are, recognize the need for compassion, to recognize that we need to offer it to others? And evangelism or sharing our faith isn't ultimately about rooting out sinful behaviors in themselves. We're not looking for behavior modification, right? We are looking, just like Jesus did with this woman, to offer an eternal solution to the sin problem, not just to change the things a person's doing, but to change them from the inside. That inside, they would well up into a spring of eternal life. That's what we're hoping for. We can have grace and compassion for where a person is, because in one way or another, we're all in the same boat. We are all broken. We are all sinful. We are all in need of a Savior. We are all in need for someone to have compassion toward us so we can show it to others. And if we want to share the gospel with someone, and really this is true, I think, of all our interactions with people, if we can be genuinely curious and find out about a person to learn about them, that helps us have a heart of compassion because we'll see ourselves in their story. We'll see someone we know in their story when we wish we had received compassion. And I just also want to stop here and say that if you're here today and you're wondering if you deserve compassion, the answer is yes. That you deserve to be treated with compassion. You have been shown compassion by Jesus. You don't need to be fearful of the condemnation of others or the condemnation of Jesus when we lay ourselves before Jesus and say, I can't. I need you to help me. We are met with compassion. I hope you can treat yourself with the same compassion that you'd be willing to give others. Because if you're like me, it's a little bit easier for me to give someone compassion than for me to give it to myself. I can look at myself and say, I know what's going on in my heart, and that doesn't deserve compassion. But if you're here today and that resonates with you, I want you to know you do have that compassion from Jesus. You don't need to heap guilt and shame upon yourself. He heaped all of our sin, all our iniquity on him at the cross. He has shown us that compassion. We can show it to others. We can show it to ourselves because we know that we can't do it on our own. And so as Jesus showed this woman compassion, as he met her in her story with compassion, not condemnation, he also offered something greater than her current circumstances. Back in John 4, verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
So in response to all the woman had said, in response to all of this, Jesus offered her hope. Jesus offered this woman hope. She perceived that there was something unique about Jesus. Obviously, he knew things about her life that he had really no business knowing if he was just a normal person. And so she kind of changes the topic a little bit. Maybe she's feeling a little bit guilty or ashamed. Who knows what she's feeling? She kind of changes the topic to something a little less personal, a little more general. Well, you know, the Jews say we sh- they should worship in uh, Jerusalem. We say that we should worship on our mountain here in Samaria. Uh, so, you know, she kind of changes it to this more general. Maybe it feels like a safer topic. But Jesus says something that's going to just blow that debate out of the water. He's going to say, that's not actually what this is about. He tells her a time is coming, and he says it's now here where the place of worship will be irrelevant. It won't matter. That's not what God is looking for. He tells her that she and other Samaritans are actually worshiping a God they don't know. He acknowledges, listen, you worship a God that you do not know. For all the struggles the Jewish people had, they at least had the full revelation of God. They knew the God they worshiped and and many times were disobedient to, but they knew who their God was. He said, you actually are worshiping something you don't know. But here's the thing, and here's the good news. Even so, the hope Jesus offers is that the hour has arrived when location and ritual are no longer important. Instead, it's a person who worships in spirit and in truth. And what this means is it's the heart posture of a person who is worshiping, and it's understanding the truth about who God is. That makes a true worshiper. Somebody who is worshiping from a pure heart and knows who they are worshiping. That's what a worshiper is, not somebody in this location or this location. God is not a location on a map. God is spirit. God is everywhere. So he wants his worshipers to worship in spirit with that true heart and in truth to know who he truly is. She then references that there is a coming Messiah. She says, he's, he's going to tell us. He's going to make all these things clear to us. He's going to explain all of this to us. And Jesus does something incredibly profound. He tells her that he's the long-awaited Messiah. When Jesus came to earth, he didn't go to the emperor. He didn't go to the king. He didn't go to the high priest. He didn't go to the religious leaders and announce who he was. Instead, he's in foreign territory in this small village with this broken woman, and he reveals that he is the Messiah. That's the kind of God we serve. That's who he is. He tells her something that people have been looking for and waiting, but were not receptive to. But in this moment, in this solitary moment, he tells her, I am the Messiah. This, this term, I am, is very loaded in Scripture in Exodus 3, when, God, when Moses says, God, who should, I, who should I tell them sent me? When he was sending them to his people in Egypt, he said, tell them I am has sent you. And then we see here in John, this loaded, the one who's speaking to you, I am he. That's Jesus explaining who he is in this simple, simple phrase. But Jesus told her about a time when things were going to be different when religious rivalries were going to be overcome by something greater, by someone greater. That God was making a grand intervention into a dark and broken world and offering hope through the Messiah, Jesus, the one speaking with her. Hope is one of the core tenets of the gospel message. Hope has to absolutely infuse everything we believe. The the gospel is grace. The gospel is truth. The gospel is love. It's also hope. 
There's hope deeply rooted in the message of the gospel, the hope that we can be reconciled to God, the hope that we can be transformed, that we can be changed, the hope that we will live with God forever, the hope that Jesus will return to make all things right, and the hope that we will see him face to face and he'll make everything new. That is the hope that is offered in the gospel. That is the hope that Jesus is offering to this woman to say he is the one, he is the Messiah. So when we share the gospel, Jesus' example shows us how important it is that we explain the true spiritual hope that exists in Christ, that we would be ones pointing people to that hope because we all know everyone is looking for hope somewhere. We are all looking for hope in one place or another. For some, it's money, it's security. For others, it's in relationships, maybe in self-help or our ability to change ourselves to the idea that we could get better. Maybe it's in social change or a political leader or good health or an outward appearance. Or maybe it's in prestige and influence or if I could just do X, Y, Z, if I could just have X, Y, Z, everything would be better. But we have only one enduring hope and it is the gospel. It is Christ Jesus. It is only the hope that we have in him. That's the only enduring hope is in the completed work of Jesus. The New City Catechism asks and answers this question, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our hope. This is what we are offering when we share the gospel. When we tell people the story of Jesus, that's what we're offering. We offer hope, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we've done, regardless of how broken we are, that there is a hope that awaits us all, that there is an opportunity to have a spring of water welling up to eternal life, that we would never be thirsty again, we would never need spiritual nourishment again, that instead we can be made whole because of what Jesus has done, that through him we could be saved. Our life stories are unique and important. Like I said, when we're curious, we can find ways of connecting with people. We can explain how the hope of Jesus has affected our life, but our stories have one thing in common. There are a lot of villains in all of our stories, but there's only one hero, and it's Jesus. We're not the hero of our story. The hero is Jesus. That is our hope, that we don't have to be the hero of our story, that we don't have to pull ourselves out of the muck, that there's someone who came down from heaven to live among us, to take our sin on his shoulders and to do it for us, do what we could never have done for ourselves out of grace, out of love, in truth, and giving us this hope. In my heart for us as a church that we would be known as a people who live the gospel and share the gospel, that it would be a part of our DNA, that it would be something that we are known for, that we would follow Jesus' example to be bold, to speak the truth, to be compassionate, and to offer hope. Now, if you're here today and you've come to Solid Rock and you're not a Christian and you're wondering why are these people so interested in sharing this story with other people, it's not that we need more church attenders. It's not that we need more followers. It's not that we need more people to like our page on Facebook. Instead, we are a broken people and we recognize that we have found the hope in Jesus and we want to share that with others. We want people to know about the hope that we have found, not out of any selfish motive, but out of a motive to say, we know the solution. We know in whom hope is found. It's found in Jesus. And if that's something that you would like to talk more about, 
We're gonna have prayer partners at the front. We'll have our elders out in the common. You can grab one of our pastors. We would love to talk to you more about what it means to fully be a part of that, what it looks like to hear that hope and accept it for yourself in your own life. And if you're here today and you are a believer and maybe this is stirring up something else in you that you are uh, wanting to, to grow in your ability to share the gospel and your courage to share the gospel or maybe this is uh, bringing up something else that you are, uh, are sensing God's calling you to be baptized, to make a public profession of your faith, which by the way is a way that we share our faith. Baptism is something that happens here at church, but it's also a way of sharing what God has done. Or maybe you're looking for a place to serve. I'll tell you this, there are few better places to serve and also get to share the gospel than our kids' ministry, our student ministry. All our kids, all our students, they need the gospel too. And it's such a fertile ground to be able to share the hope of Jesus from a young age or even up through the teen years. Or maybe today you're really resonating with this idea of your brokenness and your need for compassion and you want somebody just to pray with you. If you need prayer today, we would love to be able to pray with you. Again, we'll have prayer partners at the front. Our elders will be out in the commons. You can talk to one of our pastors. We'd love just an opportunity to pray with you as well. And so as we close, I've just got a couple of questions to uh, just see what the, what the Lord's sparking in your heart, to see uh, what some things you might reflect on as we go out from here. The uh, first one, who is God calling you to be bold to share the gospel with? Is there somebody in your mind that's come up, somebody that you know needs the hope of the gospel, and would you be able to be bold to share that with them? Second, do you struggle more to share truth or to be compassionate toward others? And what can you apply from Jesus' Example. Sometimes I think we tend to lean one way or the other, where maybe we're a little too truth-focused and sometimes we miss the person, or maybe we're a little too person-focused and we actually forget the truth. And we try to find that happy medium where we both share truth and show compassionate, or show compassion. So where are you with that today? And third, how has the hope of Jesus changed your life? And what do you need to be prepared to offer that message of hope in Jesus? The greatest story that we have is the story of what Jesus has done and we get to also personalize it and say, here's where I was before I met Jesus. And again, we, we give the, uh, get the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to use that to spark something in someone else when we're willing to share the story of hope and how it's transformed our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the hope that we have in Jesus. We thank you that we don't have to do it on our own. Lord, we know that we can't. We confess that before you today. That the brokenness we experience, the sin that we experience from our, from our own hearts and also from others, that we, we don't have a solution to fix it. God, we thank you that you have made a way, that you have offered a solution and you've offered it freely, that through faith, and what Jesus has done, that we could be reconciled to you, that we could become a well springing up into eternal life. God, we pray that you would give us all these things we've talked about from Jesus' example today, that we would have boldness, that we would share truth, that we would show compassion, that we would offer hope. We know it's only found in you. We know that we can only do these things through the power of your Holy Spirit working through us. God, we just ask that you would help us to be sensitive to the moving of your Spirit in our lives that we would be sensitive to when you're calling us to be bold and when you're calling us to, be, to share truth, to be compassionate. God, just give us an obedience and a willingness to listen. God, we ask your forgiveness for when we don't. 
We ask that you would use us to share your story to a world that desperately needs it. We pray all this in Jesus' name.